Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. We've got a great show planned for you today. Really insightful guests. Andy Lochnane, who is the president of Austin FC of Major League Soccer, he joins us to discuss his club's launch in 2021 in their new soccer-only stadium. Lochnane also shares insight on why Austin FC is ripe for success as the first major pro sports franchise in Austin. I can't believe that they don't have any pro sports franchises until now. The club is well positioned in a city that is home to many tech giants. I think you'll find the conversation interesting with Andy Lochnane. Also, how do you build a stadium during a pandemic? Interesting times to navigate a launch. Andy Lochnane will join us. Uday Ahuja is the managing director for RSE Ventures. He's going to join us to discuss working with RSE co-founders Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross and Shark Tank investor Matt Higgins on an investment portfolio that focuses on sports and entertainment, media and marketing, food and lifestyle, and technology. Ahuja provides fascinating insight on how companies in the RSE portfolio are reimagining their businesses for a post-COVID world, as well as what it takes to get an investment from a company like RSE. You're going to find that very interesting conversation as well. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Boingo. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love. Connectivity is more important now than ever before. To learn more about how Boingo can keep your venue connected, email sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. You can visit their website at boingo.com. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you hanging in? Doing good. And uh, two great conversations I was thinking about when you were just giving that little intro about how this year conversations with people that if you had them last year, it'd be totally different. And then 2020 comes and these conversations go a whole different way. So two great conversations, good angles and good insight. And I, I'm shocked too that Austin did not have any other professional sports teams there. So pretty cool for them. Go Austin. Right. Largest city in North America without at least one U.S. professional major league sports franchise. So uh, and like I said, lots of tech giants there. I think they're going to do really well. But again, how do you do this in a pandemic? How do you prepare for a launch? How do you construct a new stadium? You know, now that you're constructing this stadium, oh, guess what? We probably need temperature scanners. We probably need contactless points of sale, like all of these things that you may not have thought about a year ago. You've got to think about all of that now. So, and then uh, Uday, boy, he has some really good advice. And one of the things he said that frankly stuck out with me as much as anything that's been said on this show this year is if you're running a business right now and you're running it and saying, okay, whenever this is over, we'll just go back to the plans that we had before March, you're making a big mistake. 
you've got to reimagine your business and basically treat it as if it's a startup right now. And how are you going to do things going forward? And how are you going to staff? Are you going to be working from home? So he has some really good insight and advice that got me thinking, and I think it'll get everyone thinking uh, on our show this week. All right, Griggs, let's get to some headlines. Major League Baseball, it seems like we start off the last few shows with this. COVID cases continue to cancel Major League Baseball games. The St. Louis Cardinals, the latest team to have COVID cases run through their locker room, 13 cases across the team, according to multiple reports. Uh, The Cards' four-game series against the Tigers this week has been postponed. The Field of Dreams game between the Cardinals and the White Sox scheduled for August 13th. In Iowa, that's been pushed to 2021. So, Griggs, again, I mean, I was looking at the standings today, and you've got some teams that have played 11 games, and then you've got like the Marlins who have played three games. How how is this going? I just don't understand. Are you going to take winning percentage and go? Well, you know, the Marlins played 15 less games than this other team, but they have a higher winning percentage, so they go to the playoffs. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know how you do it either. I was thinking about that too. I'm like, how how are you going to end the season? You know, this team's got this record, but oh, this team's played 10 games less. Do you cram a bunch of games into the end of the season to try and make it level? Or like you're saying, do you look at win percentage? And it's just, uh, you know, we before MLB started, we were kind of worried about this concern of them traveling and getting around. And sure enough, here it's starting to come to fruition. So a little scary for the MLB. Yeah, I mean, what's very, very clear at this point as the data shows, if you're playing inside a bubble, if you're the NBA, the WNBA, Major League Soccer, the NWSL, the NHL, if you're playing in a bubble, the COVID cases are very low or non-existent. I mean, NHL just came out this week, no COVID cases, over 7,000 people tested. NBA, no COVID cases. So if you're in a bubble, So far, you're able to control the number of COVID cases and the exposure. If you're outside the bubble, like Major League Baseball, it's really hard to control. And we're going to see, you know, again, I have a hard time believing Major League Baseball is going to get through the season, much less to the playoffs. But I guess we'll see so far they're continuing to play. You know, you've got the TV partners who are loving the TV ratings right now, uh, basically double what they've been in the past from last year to this year on ESPN and Fox. But, you know, they're going to lose a lot of inventory. They're going to have to do make goods with their sponsors. They're going to have to fill programming if Major League Baseball does, in fact, shut down. We will continue to watch it. Griggs NFL News. Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson, he's 52 years old. He has COVID, the team announced this week. So he's going to be isolating and away from the team. The other thing to keep your eye on, the deadline for opting out of the upcoming NFL season is this Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Plenty of players have already opted out, Griggs. 25 different NFL teams have at least one player that has already opted out. So the deadline is Thursday. We may see some big names uh, add themselves to that list. Yeah, I'm curious if it's going to be kind of that last on Thursday you're going to see Twitter's going to be on fire as everybody starts dropping out or if it'll be kind of just main, you know, hit and miss different people here and there. But uh, we're seeing some drop out. And like you said, coach already with uh, COVID. So NFL, I feel like is going to be a little bit more on top of it. But who knows? It's it's early still for them. So we'll see when everybody starts getting into training camp and preseason, which is now canceled, of course. So, you know, just always moving. Well, and you've got college football in the NFL who are saying they're playing outside a bubble. So, uh, 
we've seen what happened with baseball. How do they think it's going to be different with larger rosters, by the way? Now, you're only playing one game a week. Is it in, you know, you're not playing multiple games a week like Major League Baseball does, but still with bigger rosters and with being outside of a bubble, MLB is giving you a little bit of a prelude to what you could expect. All right, Griggs, another headline The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has partnered with Danny Garcia, who is his ex wife, and Redbird Capital Partners. They put a $15 million bid on. The XFL, they were the only legitimate bid or qualified bid. The sale must now be approved by a bankruptcy judge at a hearing on Friday. The XFL's creditors, which are numbered between 1,000 and 5,000, filed an objection to the potential sale in court yesterday. The league, which was halted mid-season in March, filed for bankruptcy in April with between 10 and $50 million in assets and liabilities. On the surface, Griggs, this looks like, hey, what a great opportunity for The Rock and his partners. $15 million for an entire league. That's a really good price. But you're assuming debt. You've got all those creditors. You've still got to figure out a way to secure your media rights partners. Obviously, with The Rock leading the way, I would think ESPN and Fox and some others might feel more comfortable about that. It looks great on paper, Griggs, but we'll see if this actually gets done and if it can be successful. But, you know, look, The Rock is a he's a actor. He was on Ballers. He bought a team on that show. It's just funny how art imitates life sometimes. Yeah, it's like real time ballers. I love it. I saw the headline yesterday. I'm like, all right, cool. He's actually doing it. (laughs) So that's kind of cool. But yeah, I I think the good thing for this is his celebrity power. He's athletic. I mean, he's an athlete. He's an actor, like you said. So he's got that backing him. But like you said, there's a lot going in. It's not just a here, write a check for 15 million. Here's the league. There's creditors. There's TV. There's arenas. There's COVID. They got to look at too. So a lot going on. But I like it so far. Well, I think he's got like 142 million followers on social media. Like when he puts out one post, he can reach a lot of people. He's very engaging. When he gets behind something, you know, people gravitate to it. So. If anyone could be the front person for a league and make it work, you would think it would be The Rock. But like I said, there's a lot of uh, red tape to unwind, including all of those creditors that are owed money. So we'll see how that all takes care of itself eventually. All right. We've been wondering about college sports and college football specifically. And the conferences have all announced how many games they plan on playing for the upcoming college football season. So the ACC says they're going to play 11 games. 10 of those will be conference games. The Big 12 will play 10 games. Nine would be conference games. The Big 10 would play 10 games. They would only be conference games. The SEC would play 10 games. Those would all be conference games. And the Pac-12 said they would play 10 games, and those would all be conference games. So, Griggs, we'll see how this plays out. Again, many people, including myself, very skeptical about a college football season happening at all. And, oh, by the way, a group of Pac-12 athletes has organized and said they're going to boycott the upcoming college football season unless some of their demands are met, and I think their demands are very reasonable. And it's interesting to watch, Greg, some of the collegiate athletes now are saying, huh, we're the ones taking risk here. We're the ones being asked to play and and risk COVID. 
maybe we have some leverage here. So I, I think they're organizing and, you know, whether it's going to be an official union or however this shakes out, they're seeing that they've got some leverage and, and at least in the Pac-12, they're utilizing it right now. Yeah, I think uh, when I saw this group kind of forming and hearing about it, I thought, well, that's you're like you said, they've got leverage, they've got something to actually build on, and they've got good points. I mean, I think some of the things they're saying make sense. And as a 18, 19 year old, 20 year old kid coming in and trying to play and be with the team, and yeah, I mean, I get why they're coming after it. So again, as with every sport this year, it's going to be a, a moving, revolving door and lots of changes, lots of new things coming our way. The NCAA is expected to announce whether or not it's going to cancel or postpone fall sports, or it may just push it forward to the next meeting whenever that takes place. But there's more and more talk about these Power Five conferences, the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, SEC, and Pac-12, just becoming their own entities and breaking away at some point from the NCAA. Could they manage their own fall championships, including football? That's going to be an interesting story to watch this week. How does the NCAA and the Power Five get along? Do they break off at some point? What does that do to the NCAA? We'll watch that closely. All right. The first golf major of 2020, Griggs. That's how crazy this year is. It's coming up this weekend. It's the PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. Brooks Kapka is going for his third consecutive PGA Championship ESPN and CBS have the coverage. No fans in attendance. Griggs, who do you like? Is Kapka going to do three in a row, or do you like someone else? You know, after watching JT last week, he's solid right now. Kepka seems a little bit wavery, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking JT's playing really good. I think uh, I think he, he's going to be my pick. Yeah, I you know, I hate when we agree on things because it just doesn't make for good <laughs> conversation, but I agree. JT looks really good right now. And uh, he's the leader in FedEx Cup points. And I think the course sets up nicely for him. But it's weird. There seems like, you know, until Kapka went on this little run here, the people who win the PGA Championship, it's always like someone kind of out of left field. So we'll see. But uh, that's an interesting course. They've done a lot of work to it. Uh, I guess if you go in the rough, it is just brutal. So I would expect... High scores, meaning, you know, there might be players shooting high scores and, you know, we'll see how many people go low or go under par, but it has that kind of feel to it. One other golf note, this is from our friend Daniel Rappaport. Uh, So Phil Mickelson's old caddy Bones left Phil Mickelson or they parted ways a few years ago. So Bones has been doing TV. Well, in the last two weeks... He was a fill-in caddy. So he filled in for Matthew Fitzpatrick, who finished third at the Memorial and won $641,000. Then he filled in for JT, Justin Thomas, who won the WGC FedEx St. Jude. So in the span of two weeks, Bones brought home $246,000. Not a bad side hustle, Griggs. Not at all. And Bones is just, you know, he's got that magic too. It's like everywhere he goes... He becomes well-known. He's a good caddy. Obviously, he's been with Phil and, you know, big stars. And now he's jumping on and just filling in, and these guys are winning tournaments. Pretty crazy. You know, he, he, he's like Yoda. He just goes and, you know, is very helpful. But, gosh, you know, that'd be nice to make 246 in the span of two weeks. And, and you know, you're still getting paid for TV, probably. You're going back to that job. So, nice work, Bones. 
All right, a quick reminder, register for the Sports Business Academy August 13th and 14th. It's a great opportunity for high school and college students to learn from top executives working in the sports world. It also allows students to narrow their focus on which sector of the sports business industry they want to work in. I'm looking forward to moderating a few of the conversations for the Sports Business Academy. It's going to be virtual, of course, like everything else is. You can register at sba.malkasports.com, and that's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. So sba.malkasports.com. I'm excited to be teaming with Malka Sports on this virtual event. All right. Coming up next, great conversations with Andy Lockney and the president of Austin FC of Major League Soccer and Uday Ahuja, the managing director for RSE Ventures. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is Andy Lochnane. He is the president of Austin FC of Major League Soccer. You can follow Austin FC on Twitter at Austin FC. Andy can be found on Twitter at Andy Lochnane. Austin FC is Major League Soccer's 27th franchise. They'll be entering the league as a new expansion team in 2021. Austin FC is building a 100% privately financed $260 million world-class soccer-specific stadium in North Central Austin. And he's also held senior positions with the Columbus Crew and the Detroit Pistons. Andy, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Fun to talk soccer, fun to talk Austin. So appreciate it. Yeah. Before we get into that, you know, one of the questions I've been asking my guests in the last, what, five or six months is just how you're navigating this right now. Uh, Are you working from home? I mean, here you're trying to construct a stadium and a new franchise in a pandemic. Give me a little bit of background on just how you're navigating all of this right now. So I think like most businesses, we've obviously um, been forced to um, modify our traditional working environment. So we had um, our, uh, so, you know, we're, we're a staff as of um, March, our headcount was probably in the neighborhood of 40, 45, somewhere in between there um, in an office designed for closer to a hundred piece, a hundred persons. And um, so, you know, creating space and distance is actually something that we can probably do. But to your point, um, we have been um, in our remote work environment. Uh, We did have a period of time where um, we had kind of an optional uh, 
period where you could go into the office on a rotational basis, but um, that lasted all of, I think, two weeks when Texas started to heat back up. So with that said, we've all been working remotely. I think for us, the biggest challenge and technology has certainly allowed us to be um, pretty productive, but we were um, in the midst of our season ticket sales campaign. At the time, we were exclusively selling premium seats. And one of the tools that we have to help sell is this in-person 3D IMAX-like um, immersive tour of the stadium, um, and that's located at our uh, at our office. Of course, that that had to be um, put on ice as we all transition to our work from home environment. And what we've done, though, um, we've been able to pivot really quickly to using um, a 3D model um, that um, our our reps can operate. Um, from the comfort of their own house. So um, we're able to put, you know, um, some of the ticketing locations and the sight lines in this really cool 3D experience that just comes alive in a different format. So we've, we've been really fortunate. We, um, we've been able to pivot and use technology to our advantage. I want to get into technology and your new stadium in a few minutes. But before we do that, for people who haven't been to Austin, and I'm completely embarrassed to say that I'm one of them because I've heard nothing but great things about Austin. What kind of a market is Austin? Because Austin FC is going to be Austin's first and only major league team for now. Yeah, well, um, first of all, it's a very inviting city, so you're welcome at any point. Thank um, you. I think, um, yeah, to, to your point. Austin was the largest market in North America without a major league sports franchise mm. until um, we were awarded our charter um, in early 19. And as you noted at the outset, we start play in our inaugural season in 2021. Um, but interestingly, we are the only MLS club that stands as the one and only major league property in their respective market. So um, we have the distinct advantage of being uh, first mover um, and historically first mover advantage has yielded successful results. So, you know, I'm not going to ever compare us to the San Antonio Spurs here in Central Texas, or for that matter, the Green Bay Packers. But those two clubs um, experience what we are about to embark on, which is being the only property inside of our respective market. But, you know, Austin is a, um, is, uh, I, I guess the way I like to describe Austin is it's a tech forward city. You know, it's similar to um, Silicon Valley. In fact, um, you know, we're called Silicon Hills. It's a magnet for the technology sector. Um, uh, and, you know, I think it's become a magnet. Might be the food, might be the music scene, uh, might be the diversity of the city. Um, maybe it's also the warmth and the taxes. But nonetheless, um, it's a tech forward city. Um, and, and as a major league city, I'd like to say it's kind of the intersection of untapped potential meets pent up demand. And, and when I talk about this, you know, untapped potential, Austin, when you adjust Austin for population per major league team, which is a demographic that um, people in our industry would look to as you explore new markets, you know, Austin becomes number one in population, in households, in TV population, radio population, when you adjust for the number of pro sports teams. So I guess um, while we're roughly the same exact size as Nashville in terms of metro area, um, met, you know, Nashville has an NHL team as formidable competition. They also have an NFL team in their market. Again, similar population size. Um, and Austin, you know, we are the lone major league property. So these are some important factors as we think about Austin and its opportunity to be successful. And what's the appetite like for soccer there? I would imagine it's it's pretty large. And I know you've 
you know, had good success with getting people on board uh, to purchase tickets. But, you know, again, you're the first major league sports franchise in Austin. How is soccer viewed in Austin? So some of the successful ingredients in major league soccer over the last couple of years have been, you know, this valuable audience that the, the sport tends to deliver. Um, multicultural, you know, sort of the league is unapologetically diverse, um, specifically of Latino descent. The league is unapologetically millennial, um, much more likely that our audience will be between the ages of 18 and 34 than you might find in another sport. And by the way, we recognize we don't have the volume of the other leagues, but what we do have is sort of this diverse, young and um, digitally native crowd. So our, the tech savviness um, inside of a, a typical soccer um, um, enthusiast is something that you find in great numbers. Um, you know, we're just much more likely to be streaming um, our sport than you would find in other sports. There's also an influency aspect um, to a soccer viewer. I think on the, on the on the TV side, you know, soccer has a really young audience. If you were to look at cable viewership, um, uh, again, we don't have the volume. That's certainly under, um, uh, something that we'll acknowledge. But what we do have is this attractive young TV audience. In fact, you know, our research shows that we're at least two years younger than our closest competitor um, in terms of average age. And I think that's, you know, that's in, in age, that's a, that's a really big number. You know, our average age is closer to 40 years old on the, on the national audience side. Um, I think Austin delivers all. So if those are successful ingredients in our sport. Those are successful demographics that exist inside of Austin. Austin is roughly 40 percent um, Latino. Um, we are a very tech savvy community. You know, this is this has become the, you know, Apple has created sort of its HQ two here in Austin. Amazon, Facebook, Google all have significant um, headcount presence in Austin. Facebook just came out and said the pandemic hasn't slowed their growth plans in Austin. You know, our, in our, <clears throat> in our training facility alone, we're going to build a train, a $45 million training facility in an office park area where Apple general motors, tech, um, home Depot.com, Facebook all have office presence. And that's where our training facility is. So, you know, our stadium is right across the street from indeed.com's new world headquarters. So, uh, and, and Oh, Tesla coming to Austin. Wow. So, 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 so Tesla announced um, the last ten days that they're going to um, make Austin the home of their um, new truck gigafactory, and I guess these are all elements that develop this um, other aspect of Austin, which is it, it is growing fast. There is no market that is growing as fast as Austin, um, and as a result, we we believe this is a very attractive. Um, um, environment to build a property. And yes, we have seen success. So we had a lot of theories as to why Austin could be successful, but you know, we're fortunate it's played out. You know, you mentioned tickets. We had the most successful um, season ticket deposit campaign in the history of the league. And, you know, the team before us that had the most amount of success was Atlanta, Atlanta in you know, roughly a, a three month period, they, they had 25,000 seats committed under deposit. And, and here we are a couple of years later, Atlanta has been the success story in our league in terms of a startup club um, and what they've been able to do from an attendance perspective and on field performance perspective. You know, they've won MLS Cup. They've had several games inside of their stadium where they've had 70,000 plus. They are a success story unlike other and unlike any other. And for us, you know, we looked at Atlanta's success on that campaign, their, their season ticket deposit campaign. So after 20, you know, 30 days, we were at closer to, you know, um, 
35,000 uh, seats. Um, after 90 days, we were closer to 38,000. Um, so I think we've, we've, we've done well in that department. We're in the process right now of converting those deposits into actual season tickets. And, and knock on wood, we've been very fortunate, even through a pandemic, to, to be able to build out a critical part of our club, which is our season ticket base. That's great. I love the fact that you guys are building a, a soccer specific stadium. You know, you mentioned all the tech that's in Austin. So Boingo is a partner of Sports Business Radios, and you guys recently announced that you're going to be partnering with them on the build out and design of the DAS and the Wi-Fi 6 networks at your new state of the art stadium. Why did Austin FC select Boingo as its connectivity partner? Well, um, a relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. I mean, I think Boingo has established um, its success inside of a couple of stadium footprints, also inside of some of these large gathering, dense environments, you know, like a stadium, which is really important for us. Um, So the other important aspect for us was the the DAS system. Um, So... um, our system will be a neutral host environment. And for your listeners who are um, maybe not familiar with that term, that means that all carriers, so AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, can all join equally in our system without being limited by a service exclusivity, which sometimes happens um, inside of new venues in particular. So, you know, the decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. But on that, on, you know, on that, actual tech side, you know, I think what we can share is that, you know, our stadium will be Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6, um, uh, maybe the, the best way I can describe it, I'm probably not sophisticated enough to massage this through, but, um, you know, access points in the previous Wi-Fi 5 environment would really only allow for one conversation between a device and an access point, a lot like a walkie-talkie. But, you know, the, the Wi-Fi 6 system allows for these multiple concurrent conversations. And, and you know, I guess for, for us, um, in a really dense, really popular venue like we believe ours will be, um, we'll have fast traffic on the Wi-Fi. And, yes, uh, for all the Austin FC fans who are asking, our Wi-Fi is, in fact, free um, at the stadium. And then, on and you know, on that distributed antenna system, that DAS system that I briefly mentioned, that's also an important process because our project will be 5G capable. So when we're online um, and the carriers um, begin to all transition to 5G, we will be 5G ready. It's amazing. I'm thinking of the sports venues of the future, and it sounds like you're building that. But, you know, coming out of a pandemic, it seems like we're going to have things like temperature scanners. We're going to have as many contactless points of sales as possible. Strong connectivity is really important to the venue now, right? It is. There is no doubt that, um, you know, data and power and connectivity are essential ingredients. I think, you know, I can give you a couple examples. You mentioned, you know, sort of touchless concept. Yeah, I mean, on the point of sale technologies side alone, right, there's I think every club has has had this objective in the last couple of years to create a frictionless experience. Um, I think that's the objective for all venues, quite frankly. Um, and pre-COVID-19, there was a, gro- a, a growing movement um, to have as much cashlessness as as one might be able to um, put into your venue. And sometimes that's a cost matter, especially for a, a legacy venue. 
And sometimes it's a legislative matter. I mean, there are legislative conditions that exist in certain jurisdictions where there are set limits on the percentage of cashlessness that can exist. Um, but I think the general takeaway from the last three to four months is that cashless, which amounts to touchless, um, will become very prevalent. And we're certainly um, making those decisions and trying to predict what will be a much more um, cashless environment. That doesn't mean um, that we're necessarily saying we're going to be 100% cashless, but we are, we are trying to be um, both um, smart with speed of service and also smart in terms of health regulations. Um, but yeah, speed is everything. I mean, there's so many things that we're, we want to do fast, you know, on, on the lighting side. And this isn't something that, you know, too many venues have focused on lighting, but, you know, we're, we're in a, a venue that um, has a really rich music scene. And we want to be in the business of having great environment, not just for our matches, but also for all other events. And in our particular case, we're going to we're going to have a stadium that's going to have 100 um, percent of the lights will be capable of having full color. Um, and and I think some stadiums have installed a few of these what are called RGB lights. Um, and, and when you install them, even a few look really great. You can, you can have a single fixture can change from the highest quality white light to literally like one of 2 million different color options in an instant. Um, and no other stadium in the world has installed 100% of their lights with this technology. So we have, I think, in the neighborhood of 400 fixtures in the stadium, you know, some aimed at the stands, most of them aimed um, at the field itself. And all of our fixtures will have this technology. I think there's a stadium right now that's going to soon host a Super Bowl that's looking to install this, but we're going to be the first. And and think about what that can do. Like when we score a goal, the entire stadium could theoretically um, theoretically change into all green, um, and it can be done in an instant. And uh, and this is all part of you know LED advancement. Um, certainly, power and data helping to 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 thrust this into um, something that we'll be able to activate. This is a good transition into your branding. I'm really impressed with your branding. Uh, I would describe it as an intricate logo. Walk me through the process. I'm always interested in learning, like, all right, how did that club come up with the branding they came up with? So um, our brand exercise um, – really landed in one core direction, which was we, we must have a local agency assist us with the process. There are, there are certain um, brands that have been developed by national or international uh, branding firms, and, and those have ended in a great spot. Um, almost, almost most of them end up in a great spot, but we had a different sort of foundation that we wanted to establish. We knew we wanted to use an Austin-based brand. So we partnered with a local firm called Butler Brothers, and they did their research. Portland Timbers was certainly you know, uh, an exercise that they wanted to understand how that process came about. Um, but I, I, I will tell you that was the simplest and most important decision we made. Um, and it was fun. Like I'd say it took course over six to eight months of creating ideas and then ultimately landing where we landed. And um, in terms of our badge for your your listeners who may not be familiar, um, we have um, two uh, trees that um, are interlaced. Um, and those, those trees represent club and community. Austin, which if you've never been, is this really interesting green city. Their oak trees are pervasive throughout um, central Texas. I think most people don't 
realize how pervasive oak trees are in central Texas. And so our, our two, our two trees are um, symbolically connected together. Um, and then, you know, at the top of our badge, um, we have the name of our city, you know, large um, and front and center. And, you know, we wanted to Austin, literally the word Austin to be the centerpiece of the badge. And um, hopefully it stands out and, you know, it's got a distinct new shape. Not all club badges have a distinct deep U shape. We're one of very few that have used this shape. So, um, but yes, for, for us, we wanted to have something that was very emblematic of Austin and, and the commitment to the color Verde, um, is something that um, we've done uh, very deliberately, the commitment to trees and the commitment to have Austin stand out were all part of our uh, our brand exercise. Well, well done. I think it turned out great. It's very distinct and uh, I like it. Uh, a few more minutes before I let you go. Walk me through your to-do list. I mean, here we're looking at 2021 is you know when you guys debut, the stadium needs to be built. What's on your to-do list between now and launch? So, um, you know, I, I guess our our biggest um, objectives um, are all let's call it infrastructure related, and that's that's our physical infrastructure. So, you mentioned our two hundred and sixty million dollars stadium that is presently under construction in um, in Austin. That process is over fifty percent complete remains on schedule ahead of our twenty one season launch. But that's you know that is a project that needs to remain on schedule and. We've been very fortunate. Um, we've been able to adjust um, when there has been, for example, there have been material supply issues. Well, we've been able to modify the schedule um, and we've been able to keep on track on occasion. There have been um, issues where we literally needed to completely source the product using a totally new um, supplier. And, and we've been able to rebuild our schedule such that we have not lost time. And so we're very fortunate in that respect. Um, we're also building a training facility. So that's a $45 million facility that will be sort of the office for our players. That's where they will go to work. They'll go to train. They'll go to eat. They'll go to watch video. They'll go to rehabilitate. Um, that's a very important investment for the club and quite frankly, for attracting and retaining players. Um, and then, um, you know, we're building infrastructure of staff. So both the soccer operations side and the business operations side are each um, really not even halfway to full capacity on our staff. And, you know, I know a lot of businesses right now are in the process of modifying their headcount, um, sometimes pausing, sometimes eliminating positions, you know, as a team that needs to be ramped up for 21, we're in a, a very different decision mode. We are in the adding headcount mode, which that does not mean we haven't had to smartly modify. We have slowed some of our growth. We have um, had to rethink some positions, but nonetheless, we're in growth mode. And then importantly, you know, our commercial infrastructure. So we're building out as I mentioned, our season ticket staff right now, we're in the process of um, going through our deposit platform and converting deposits into season tickets. And that's off to a very, very good start. We're very fortunate. We're building our corporate partner base. So um, everything from our Jersey partner, which was announced um, in February of this year, Yeti is our uh, official Jersey partner. We have a healthcare partner on board. What we've seen is that um, we will be very successful um, in terms of measuring up to some of the other deals um, in Major League Soccer. Austin is is maybe not the largest market in the country, but what we are seeing is the validation that we are the, you know, we, we have the benefit of of being the first and only team in the market, and with that comes some com commercial viability. 
Um, and, you know, we are working on our stadium naming rights project right now. That's very, very important initiative for us. So those are some of the things that we're working on. Uh, and yes, soon we'll have more players added to our roster. We added our first player about a month ago. And between now and next um, season, we'll begin to add, I don't know, 27 or more players who can um, put a name on a jersey that will one day be sold here in Austin. That's exciting. Before I let you go, uh, I see I was on your website preparing for yeah. this interview, and I see Matthew McConaughey, part of the ownership group, and he even has an official title, the Minister of Culture. It's quite a coup to get Matthew McConaughey on board as part of your ownership group. What's that? I mean, how did you? How did that story come about where he became part of your ownership group? So this goes back to um, you know we we wanted to establish. Um, a very strong local foundation. So Anthony Precourt, um, who the majority owner of the club, um, knew all along that he wanted to have um, local partners. And so there's a group um, that has been formed of which Matthew is one of the members of the group. But you know, ultimately, we have aspirations to um, be a global brand. And I think, you know, as we think about ambassadors and somebody who can help um, not just uh create relevancy inside our own market, but also help create relevancy globally. I mean, there is, there is arguably no other person that we would ever want to align with that lives here in Austin that can help um, create relevancy and create strong culture and amazing traditions. And um, I I mean, he's electric. (laughs) Yeah. He's, and, and I got to tell you, he's all in on this and um, we are incredibly fortunate to have him contributing to the growth of this club. I mean, there's things I, I, I can't get into what he's doing behind the scenes because some of the things just haven't come to light yet, but um, he is um, actively helping create culture and creating successful foundation for this team. We are so lucky to have him and all of our, um, our local owners. I will tell you, you know, we, we announced recently that we are um, continuing with our path to launch in 2021 at the same time a couple of other teams announced that they were delaying and i will tell you we would not be in this position without the commitment of our ownership group so um we and our fans owe it to our ownership group of which matthew is one of uh seven to allow us to be in position to be ready for 2021 well i'll tell you what andy with everything we've discussed in this conversation you are set up very very nicely for success there in austin great job with everything that you've been doing you know, I think, like we said, it's an untapped market. I, I frankly can't believe that there hasn't been a, a Major League Pro Sports franchise in Austin before now. So I think you're set up real, real nicely for success. Well, thank you. Um, we're off to a great start with thanks to our community. And uh, I guess it's up to us to make sure that we continue to build trust and hopefully over time build an incredibly relevant, incredibly successful club. Andy Lochnane, the president of Austin FC of Major League Soccer. You can follow them on Twitter at Austin FC. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Lochnane. Andy, thank you so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio and uh, continued success to you. Thank you so much. This was a, a great interview. I appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. 
Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. My guest is Uday Ahuja. He is the managing director of RSE Ventures. You can follow them on Twitter at RSE Ventures. Uday, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Very well, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me today. Why don't we start off the conversation for our listeners who may not be familiar with RSE Ventures. Let us know what the firm does, how it was started. We know that Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, as well as Shark Tank investor Matt Higgins, are the co-founders of the company. But just start off there. Tell us a little bit about RSE Ventures. Yeah, absolutely. Very happy to. So RSE was established in 2012 as a partnership between uh, Steve Ross and our CEO, Matt Higgins, as you mentioned. Uh, Steve, as you know, is the owner of the Miami Dolphins. And the initial mandate was to invest in and build sports and entertainment businesses in and around the Miami Dolphins. Um, The mandate has quickly grown from there, and I've been thrilled to be a part of the journey um, and our ever-expanding mandate to invest in growth and early-stage companies, not only in the sports and meat entertainment space, but in other areas such as media and marketing, uh, consumer restaurants, consumer packaged goods, and, and tech companies. So we have a pretty broad and flexible mandate to invest um, in early and growth-stage companies. Uh, our roots are in the sports and entertainment space, but of course have, have grown rapidly from there. So as the managing director, and tell me if I'm incorrect here, but I'm imagining that you're probably the front line when someone sends a proposal your way, you're looking at it, and then are you deciding whether or not to bring that to Mr. Ross and Mr. Higgins? What's the, I guess, what's the criteria for making it through for a further conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I oversee our portfolio and lead our new investment activity. And so you're absolutely right. Um, you were sort of the first port of call before we, you know, take the idea forward and, and socialize it with Matt or Steve. Or in many instances, even if sort of the inbound comes via Matt or Steve, it's, it's up to me and, and our team to sort of evaluate the opportunity on its merits, uh, understand whether it fits into our mandates or the areas of focus that we have uh, and whether it would be a good fit uh, from the criteria that we have. And, and you know, there, there's a variety of criteria that we employ, which may not be necessarily what a traditional private equity firm would go after, um, but we sort of are the first screen and then take it to Matt and Steve to sort of vet the idea before we dig too far in. We obviously want to be cognizant of, you know, wasting people's time um, with, you know, their hard-earned time with sort of the ideas that they bring in to us. And generally, you know, if there is interest on our side, we'll move quickly forward with a meeting with Matt and Steve to further validate the idea. But absolutely, the first port of call here, and, um, you know, we, we sort of evaluate you know, hundreds of opportunities a year. So there's a lot that we see, but very few that ultimately make it through the funnel. What does the sports investing landscape look like right now? Because we're in this unprecedented time. I know, like I've been to the Bloomberg Tech Summit, Andre Iguodala's event 
in San Francisco the last two years. Obviously, that didn't happen this year. But, you know, I'm wondering, like, is it slowing down or are you still seeing the same number of proposals that you were seeing? We're still seeing a lot of activity, and, and that's across the board, um, whether it's esports or, you know, sports gambling or, you know, team ownership. I mean, our interests lie in the Miami Dolphins, and, and we don't have any ambitions to go out and, and, you know, invest in or acquire other teams, but we certainly see a lot of activity there, and people come to us um, with the assumption that we might be interested in, in acquiring other sports teams as well. And we're always happy to look at that, but, um, you know, little chance that we're going to move forward with that. So from a team ownership standpoint, there is a, a there's still a lot of activity. You know, from our perspective, we look at uh, sports investing from the lens of owning intellectual property. Um, content is king, and we continue to believe in that. Uh, which is why our investment activity in the sports space has been around around owning or commercializing IP. Uh, and so examples in our portfolio include, you know, the creation of relevant sports group and the various tournaments that we've created through RSG, as it's called, which is the International Champions Cup, the Women's International Champions Cup, and the ICC Futures. We also, you know, have, have entered into a joint venture with La Liga uh, to be their um, partner here in North America to help commercialize the league further. The other sports property we've been involved with building is, is Drone Racing League. In both those cases, we own the league and are responsible for all aspects of their operation and commercialization. Um, and as I said before, we are not we are not alone in the IP ownership thesis. There's a lot of activity in this space. There are funds that are being raised specifically to buy minority stakes in teams and or buying teams outright. Uh, and just yesterday, uh, there was an announcement that Redbird Capital has has a SPAC out there to acquire sports teams um, on the heels of their recent acquisition of, of Toulouse in French football. So, you know, with the benefit of having the Miami Dolphins and our extended families, not only are we looking at sort of, you know, quote-unquote sports league ownership, uh, but also events and properties that are that can benefit um, the stadiums, such as, you know, the Miami Open or bringing an F1 race um, to Miami. So, you know, the, the short answer to your question is there's still a lot out there. Um, and, you know, our area of focus remains sort of on ownership of content and intellectual property. That's very interesting. Uh, about, what, a year and a half ago, I was at Hard Rock Stadium. I did the Sports Business Radio Roadshow with Tom Garfinkel, who I think is just such a sharp executive. But he introduced me to uh, the gentleman from And Pizza. And I know that's something right. in your portfolio. Boy, their pizza is so good. They had a tailgate uh, before the Dolphins game. And, you know, when I've been in D.C. or other places, I, I go and have and pizza. They're not a sponsor of this show, but I, I just thought they had really good pizza. But that's the type of partnership, too, where I, I know you guys are, are looking at, you know, food partnerships and, like you said, entertainment partnerships as well. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and although I'm biased, I fully agree with you. And, and Pete, that's a phenomenal product. And um, we look forward to one day making it sort of a nationally uh, available chain. As, as you noticed, uh, as you noted, it's uh, regional right now to the D.C., Maryland 
uh, Virginia area in New York, but um, hopefully someday we'll be able to sort of span the country. Um, look, that's part of what I was alluding to earlier when I mentioned there's tons of other factors and criteria other than the merits of each investment. We looked across pollinate across our portfolio. Um, and we're only going to invest in things where we believe we can be of strategic value and add strategic value um, to the business as well. So, you know, for us to be a passive investor isn't something that's interesting to Steve or Matt. And so for us, it's very, very important to actually uh, invest in companies where we'll be able to add value and help them take it to the next level, whether that's, you know, a real estate um, angle that, you know, Steve's broader related companies can help bring to a food and beverage concept or, you know, hopefully helping gain a concession spot at Hard Rock Stadium. We, we believe in, in, in sort of cross-pollinating and, and importantly, um, investing in entrepreneurs and founders. And the gentleman that you're alluding to, Michael Lestoria, is, is just a phenomenal um, success story from um, what he's done at Ant Pizza and, and prior to that. So we are we are very eager to back people like Michael um, because they just bring such a spirit and um, magic to uh, what they're building in each of their companies beyond sort of their, their you know, day-to-day operations and, and sort of financial expertise. It's so interesting that you mention that because I, I've interviewed a number of investors and business people on the show. And you know, while the idea and the viability of the idea is very important, a lot of them have told me that they really look at the person or people running the company and their vision and their energy and how they carry themselves. And yeah, when I met the uh, the founder of Ann Pizza, he certainly fits the bill as someone who has energy and passion for what he does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think you just said it right. Um, and I think that's a consistent theme that you'll see across various investments that we've made, uh, whether that's, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk at, at VaynerMedia or Michael at Ant Pizza or Christina Tosi at Milk Bar. There is a tremendous passion for what they're doing and the belief in what they're doing. And, and I think that's what differentiates a lot of businesses aside from sort of the, you know, um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and sort of looking at the numbers and, and running sort of our, you know, models and all the sort of diligence that we do. I think for us, the person or people behind the business are supremely important. And that's a very, very important part of our diligence. So again, to your question earlier on sort of what's the process and sort of what's the gateway while we do the initial sort of vetting, the most important thing we do is sort of the next step, which is the management team or the founder meeting with Matt and Steve and, and conveying their passion and enthusiasm for what they're building. Um, and, and without that, I don't think, you know, our investment process would be, you know, complete or um, successful in any way. So it's hugely important that, you know, we get to know these founders, we spend a lot of time with them, and that goes across every kind of business. It's not necessarily only on the restaurant side, um, and not only sort of on, on sort of the media and marketing side, but even, you know, with something like the Drone Racing League on the sports side, um, Nick Orbicheski, who's the founder and CEO of that business, is such an impressive guy and, and what he's building is truly special. And if you spend 30 minutes with him, you'll, you'll sort of come away, uh, come, come away from that conversation blown away by sort of what he's done in a relatively short amount of time and his vision for the future. So how is RSE meeting 
with the leaders of the companies in your portfolio right now to discuss innovating and pivoting during these unprecedented times? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it's, it's a challenging time for everyone, right? And um, one of the guiding principles and philosophies that we've sort of been advocating with our uh, various portfolio companies and CEOs is actually not our CEO wrote a great piece in The Entrepreneur in which, you know, he shared that the number one question his founder should be asking right now is not how can I rebuild my business as fast as possible, but instead, if I were rebuilding my business from scratch today, what business would I build? And so it's, it's the sort of philosophy of allowing yourself to reimagine and reinvent instead of being bogged down by prior thinking or processes that were established. It's a new world. Um, so it's a blank slate. And as, Mike, as Matt likes to say, like, give yourself the permission to challenge every assumption. And I think we've seen a lot of our portfolio sort of take that to heart. Um, you know, we, we, there's the basic blocking and tackling, right, of, of making sure these businesses are, you know, have enough cash to survive sort of in the long term. And so once you got beyond the initial, you know, um, shock of that and sort of COVID hitting and, and making sure we were in a stable place, it sort of is now much more forward looking. What do we need to be doing to build for the future and sort of what is, you know, presumably going to be a new normal for for a long time, right? Like a a lot of our businesses are built around uh, urban centers like New York and San Francisco. Is that going to return or is that not going to return? And so what does that mean for our expansion strategy going forward? So there's there's a lot that's going on and sort of an ongoing conversation, but, you know, it's sort of that mentality of how do we, what business would I build if I was starting from scratch today? And that's an interesting conversation that we've had across the board in our portfolio. I love that advice. Uh, if you're a business who's seeking funding right now, what would your advice be to that business? You know, it's a tough time to raise money. Um, and uh, I, I think just from an investor standpoint, I think there is uh, this element of, you know, while there's a, certainly a lot of people who want to put money to work and there's a lot of people who, who have, you know, capital to put to work and there's a desire to do it, I think there's there's almost this mentality of we must have a deal um, or, or some sort of added benefit. So, you know, if you've gotten to that stage where you're negotiating, what that added benefit to an investor's congratulations, you've done sort of all the hard work and the heavy lifting of getting someone interested uh, in, in your idea. But but I would say the bar is definitely much higher than it was before. I, I think you have to sort of be creative and, and talk about sort of the long-term investments that you're going to make for your idea to be successful. And I don't think you can be scared or shy of that. A lot of, a lot of people will present sort of the, you know, the, the three month and six month roadmap, but I think you have to truly present what investments you're making and how they will bear fruit uh, in the long run. And then frankly, if someone doesn't want to back that long-term vision and patient vision, then they may not, not be the best partner for you. And, and that's, I think, what we find in, in a lot of, um, you know, investments that we enter into. There, there's almost, a, a, you know, a investors sometimes want to make a quick buck. And, and it just doesn't work that way. It, it, you have to be patient. You have to, especially when you're investing in early stage companies, um, there's always a hope, in it, you know, that there might be a quick flip somewhere along the line. But this is going to be a grind for like five to seven years, and you better be prepared to help um 
the entrepreneur build the business. So in a sense, you know, it, it kind of goes both ways. Not only do you have to uh, find the right investor, uh, sorry, excuse me, not only do you have to, you know, uh, invest and sort of uh, find the right company for yourself and that meets your criteria, but on the other side of the company, you have to do your diligence on uh, whether the partner is right for you. And I think that makes a huge difference in the long run, even if you sort of take a little bit of a, hit on valuation or the amount of capital you're raising or governance. I think the alignment with the partner is just so super important. RSC is also invested in the Action Network, which provides sports betting intelligence. What does the future of sports betting look like? Because again, before COVID hit, it looked like it was one of the hottest sectors out there. Now games are starting to come back, but you know, we didn't have yeah. games for a few months there, so there wasn't really anything to bet on. But what about the future of sports betting? Yeah, look, I, I go back to something I just said. I think we have um, we have a long-term view on how we approach things, and mm-hmm. so that helps us maybe um, you know stay a little bit calm, calm through these sort of fluctuations and displacements um, that we're witnessing now. We, we hope and expect that live sports will be back you know, soon as we're seeing with sort of some of the seasons starting, um, but even if it's sort of next year. So long term, we're, we're bullish. Um, and even sort of with the challenges right now during COVID, it looks like a lot of these uh, sports uh, gamblers have now gone and become retail investors in the stock, stock market. But uh, I think I think uh, it's much more interesting in the long run to, to bet on the Yankees and Red Sox game than it is to, you know, bet on the prospects of Hertz rental car company. Um, so, you know, as long as these uh, companies continue to invest in their technology and how seamless it is to actually place a bet, I think you'll find that it's, it's, it's real and pervasive and ubiquitous uh, sooner rather than later. You know, fantasy games were a real hook to keep people in interested in watching games, and, and gambling is going to be no different. It's going to take it to a, to another level. Um, for us, we're interested in the action network. We were uh, interested in the action network and continue to be. We were impressed by the action network team and the quality of the data and the research and insights they're providing their subscribers in an easily digestible format. Of course, the subscriber acquisition play is always hard, but if you get it right, there's there's tremendous value there. So from a long-term perspective, um, we we are, you know, just generally bullish on the pr- prospects of the action network and, you know, sports gambling in, industry as a whole. What about esports? Obviously, that's growing during this time when live sports haven't been going on until recently. What are your, your thoughts on esports? Yeah, look, it's, it's, to be candid, something we, we grapple with all the time. You know, we've, we've seen a lot, but we've continued to sit on the sidelines in, in sort of the investor parlance. We, we feel like these are growth equity size checks for very early stage venture capital companies. Um, so, you know, typically people uh, approach us to invest in teams, um, because of our ownership of the, of dolphins. But candidly, we, we just don't see the risk reward in, in owning a team right now where the valuations are very high and, and the monetization model hasn't quite been worked out because unlike, let's say, owning an NFL team, you don't own the IP, which is sort of going back to the team that we were talking about at the outset. Um, so what is what are you left with? You're left with you know trying to figure out smart, focused infrastructure plays um, rather than sort of the, you know, 
team-oriented plays. And so, you know, we've seen a lot, haven't sort of pulled the trigger on anything for a variety of reasons. One being teams are not interesting to us, two being valuation. But look, the industry's got a tremendous tailwind behind it, right? Like, I think um, if you look at Twitch as a barometer, the minutes watched is 80% up year over year during the Q2 of of this pandemic. And so there's certainly a lot going on there. I'd say our exposure to esports is... Right now, via DRL, um, you know, we, we hosted the uh, simulator series um, with uh, in partnership with FanDuel on on, uh, on NBC and Twitter, and for eight consecutive weeks held this tournament. We engage with over four million fans who watch the the Sim Cup on Twitter, and an average of fifty thousand fans are tuned in weekly on NBC. So that's our exposure right now to esports. While I generally believe that there is a lot that is. Um, interesting in the esports we're sort of sitting on the sidelines waiting to waiting for it to shake out a little bit um because right now we just on a team side in particular don't see the risk reward um scenario from an investment standpoint before i let you go our listeners are always interested in the path that our guests have taken so what's your path how did you wind up as the managing director of rse ventures yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, I, I I started my career at um, Goldman Sachs uh, in the investment banking side in the technology, media, telecom division, followed by a few years in the private equity side. Um, I got happened to be introduced to Steve Ross, um, and certainly having gone to the University of Michigan, um, you know, it certainly didn't hurt uh, <laughs> to establish the connection, um, and he. Um, hired me to help him run a venture he had acquired called Fan Vision, and this was back in 2010. Um, and so uh, while I was helping him establish that venture and helping him run it, um, RSC, as I mentioned, was established in 2012. And so over time, my role and responsibility under the Steve Ross ecosystem and subsequently RSC has, has sort of grown. And, you know, it's been a really exciting uh, journey to be a part of our ever-expanded mandate. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's been it's been a great ride and very grateful to, to Matt and Steve for, you know, bringing me along uh, on it. And it's just been fun to expand from our sports and entertainment roots to everything that we're doing today. And how are you managing the last few months? Again, it's a question I've asked to all my guests. People are working from home. People have, you know, fitness centers in their home now. We're doing Zoom meetings. Like, I'm just interested in the process of how people are working right now. Yeah, no, look, it's a great question. Um, we, we We live in the New York City area, and we were lucky to have moved to the suburbs late last year. Uh, as they say, timing is everything in our, and, and in our case, it's, it's certainly true with, with two young kids. So I think to maintain our sanity, it's been, it's been a blessing that the outside New York City in our own, own little bubble. Um, and, um, you know, that's, I think, gone a long way in, in sort of helping us cope and manage what has obviously been a, a challenging situation. And of course, we're, we're blessed to be here. So, um, you know, the, the portfolio and everything that goes on day to day from a work standpoint has certainly kept us all very busy and on our toes. Um, but, you know, the most important thing is, as I'm sure you feel the same way, is that, um, you know, we're all happy and healthy. And that's the most important thing to take away from this from this last few months. Absolutely. 
Uday Ahuja. He is the managing director of RSE Ventures. Find them on Twitter at RSE Ventures. Really a terrific company. And like I said, I've had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Ross and Mr. Higgins in person, Tom Garfinkel, a tremendous organization of bright people. And I appreciate you joining me on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me third-party tested, and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM Drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD soft shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier... To see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to CBDMD.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, CBDMD.com. Use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.